What's up, Warriors fans? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. Sam Orlick here, your host. We've got a very special episode for you today, emergency podcast, breaking down all the latest news from the last 24 hours or so, give or take, is none other than special guest Corey LeBeau. Hello, hello, Sam. What's going on, Corey? Not much, man. Not much. Crazy day. We had to hop on for an emergency podcast. I know. We got a lot to talk about. How are you? I want to quickly kind of gauge your uh, panic excitement meter. I'm seeing a lot of different takes out there on the Twitter sphere, which is uh, some sometimes not the best place to look for for kind mm-hmm. of tempering um uh kind of fan expectations or uh, reactions but um yeah are you feeling shocked happy excited indifferent confused all of the above i sam like literally all of the above in all like rapid succession one after the other mainly just nauseous <laughs> i am if you had told me like just literally what was it 24 hours ago like 27 hours ago that chris paul would be a golden state warrior i would have thrown something out of a window i was initially just distraught hearing that to me he is the most like the number one warriors villain more than lebron james more than james harden because of the pre-dynasty back and forths they had because of the state farm commercials because of like what they represent in their archetypes of play and to have him on the warriors is just a it is so shocking like such a shocking move that i've had to that's really been the bulk of the processing more so than the draft more so than even jordan Poole being gone is how i'm kind of combining those two ideas yeah very valid um i too was uh had an initial reaction of 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 being shocked um obviously i've been a big jordan pool proponent on this podcast have not been bashful about kind of coming to his defense, even with the deficiencies in his game and the challenges that he had last season. Um, so, you know, it's certainly sad to see, to see this guy, to see this guy go who, you know, myself and many thought was kind of the future for, you know, warrior you know, life as a life as a golden state warrior post the Curry era. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think overall that's what this really is, is it's the end of the two timelines definitively, right? It's the end of whatever they were trying to do and build, you know, I'm thinking about just last year, this time last year, they were talking about how it was, this was the core six and Jordan Poole was part of the core six. Like he was going to replace Curry. He was the heir apparent. And to think of how, much that's disintegrated and that whole idea and that post-championship glow that they had, how rapidly it's been undone to the point where we traded him for literally Steph's arch rival in some ways and also attached picks to it, like had to sweeten it to get that. It's, it's strange to say, I mean, as you know, that's kind of been our repartee is that I would come on here to flame Jordan Poole and you kind of offer the defenses. And so I'm not really sad to see him go. I am sad to see this, you know, era that was built is really in shambles now. And it's interesting to see what the Warriors do to go forward, that they're leaning so heavily on win right now with veteran savvy as opposed to trying to build out a real core team. And they've still got a lot of moves to make, too. Yeah. So let's just do a quick recap before we kind of dig more into into all of this and the details and what this means. So mm-hmm. um, Jordan Poole, Ryan Rawlings, and uh, and this, this deal is official 
is officially official as of July 6th. So everything is still kind of in flux. I think like it's hand, handshake <laughs> yeah. agreement really at this point, but the, the money isn't guaranteed until July 6th. So the deal can't actually be executed until then. Gotcha. And Could you imagine the vibes if Jordan Poole comes back? Oh, They're like, God. oh, sorry. Yeah, come on. It's okay. Come what a blunder that with, would be. <laughs> play with Draymond. That's chill. And the details have kind of been shifting a little bit. So what I've seen as of earlier within the last hour is the official deal is Jordan Poole, Ryan Rawlings, Patrick Baldwin Jr. and a 2030 first round pick, which is protected, which means that if it's Mm -hmm. uh, pick one through 20, the Warriors retain it. The Wizards only get it if it's uh, 20 through 30. Um, and it doesn't like carry over to the next year if it falls out of the 20 to 30 range. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was a separate transaction on draft day for the Warriors to acquire the Wizards 57th pick for cash. So as it was kind of originally reported yesterday, it was the Patrick Baldwin Jr being exchanged for the 57th pick but i think because again these deals aren't official until july 6th in order for the warriors to actually get that draft pick to be able to select who they wanted to they that's why it's kind of split like that that it was cash for the 57th pick in the draft and patrick baldwin jr was still a part of that deal but he's being included in the in the chris paul trade that will become official july 6th Oh, gotcha. That makes sense just because of the way they need to get the money on. It's pretty clear the way they were thinking about it because originally, right, it was pool and then these two draft picks, that 2030 first rounder and then a second round one, I think in 2027 yeah, so the sec- or something. So the second round, the second rounder was Ryan Rawlings. Oh, so that's going to, so instead so the of only, that second the only round pick, pick, it's Ryan okay. Rollins. Yeah, the only pick that we gave them, the only future pick that we gave them was the 2030 first round pick, which is protected top 20. Yeah. Okay, that makes that makes a lot more sense too in terms of like it's so heavily protected that if the Warriors have to end up giving it up, it means that all is well in Warriors land, right? Like yeah. things are things are okay. Yeah, if the, the tank, way- if the tank is on seven years from now and it's a lottery pick, you're gonna keep that as the Warriors. Yeah. And then it's like when I when we got the news of the PBJ trade, and it's like all the acronyms, right? Because they traded PBJ for this not TD, directly, T- T- right? TJD. <laughs> yeah, right. They're like trade. It, it seems like if if it's not, even if it's a separate transaction, in their mind, they're getting rid of this first round pick who has a higher contract and maybe wouldn't see the floor right away. Although I'm kind of bummed because I was kind of excited to see PBJ as the stretch as a stretch big guy for this second round pick who they do think they can play right away or at least that seems to be the idea we can talk about how we thought they did in the draft but this guy is i mean this tdj guy uh is 23 years old he's like three years older than jonathan kaminga right and i think they're they're hoping they clearly went into this draft being like we want to have guys who could play for steve kerr and steph curry right now right exactly so before we jump too far ahead to, to the actual draft picks I think what what this signified for me in in the Warriors dealing pool for Chris Paul is the Warriors chose Steph Curry over Jordan Poole, which indirectly mm. meant that they had to pick between Curry and Poole because I think, you know, hindsight is 2020. I think we can kind of agree now that, you know, you weren't going to give Jordan Poole the four the four year 123 million guaranteed contract that went up to 142 um 142 million based on you know incentives to be a six man and so the question Mm -hmm. is you know could jordan Poole be a starter and they chose clay right you weren't gonna you weren't gonna have can't start steph clay and Poole. um or i guess you could have but they opted not to (laughs) also when you just think about the the roster construction, the money, the tax, something, you know, we've been talking about this over the last few years in different scenarios that somewhere along the line, they were going to have to do something. And was that going to be getting rid of Clay Thompson, Draymond Green? 
Were they going to be willing to accept significantly less money to make it all work? Um, and, you know, my whole thing with Jordan Poole was the, his story of putting in the work, you know, that that COVID season, he was the he was the one that was the gym rat and putting in all the hard work and the stints in the G League to make his way up to then kind of build into this budding star coming off the bench, uber efficient, super scorer. Um, and then he did that over the course of a season where he was primarily filling in for Clay Thompson, um, who missed most of that season. And then mm-hmm. Steph Curry got hurt at the end of that season. So Poole was able to start for him. And then he took all of that success and, and continuity and momentum into the playoffs, had an incredible stretch in the playoffs where he was highly efficient and really invaluable to that 2022 championship run. Um, cut to reports of him in the off season, you know, having some attitude, having kind of being really cocky, talking about, talking a lot of shit. I think we mentioned, I mentioned before about that whole thing about, uh, he's got the goat pool at his house, you know, <laughs> cause he's Jordan pool and he's got a pool just, you know, just silly stuff. He comes across as a goofy guy and I was willing to kind of, um, dismiss those but i think now where we're at today and when you look at when you kind of go back and look at some footage of him in the playoffs when he struggled and his body language and some interactions he he had with draymond and and you see curry kind of calling him out in one clip saying like mm-hmm. hey don't fucking do that we need we, you know that's not how we win um you know i think that there's some concerns right and you're about to start the first year of his four year deal where you're locked into this kid. And I think that there's no questioning his talent as a scorer, but what comes along with that, right? The, mm-hmm. the hell bent craziness to, to get to the rim or, or jack up threes to dribble it off his foot, to not recognize where the shot clock is and, and how to manage uh, clock management that led to losing close games. Um, the lack of intentionality on, or, or, um, focus on defense, right? He's never a great defender, but you can at least be intentional with your defense mm-hmm. and not just get blown, you know, blown past every time. Um, and so I think, you know, I think I can feel good about them moving on for the sake of they felt like Jordan Poole was not the guy to replace Steph Curry. And so if you're going to cut ties, you know, this what better time than now at the crux of trying to figure out this roster and all these different things. Um, and I think it's kind of kudos to Mike Dunleavy Jr.'s taking over for Bob Myers and signaling kind of a change of the guard because I think Myers felt too attached to everybody to make some of these hard decisions. And it's much easier, you know, a lot of kind of similarities to Moneyball where Brad Pitt has, you know, Jonah Hill cut the players because or to tell them they've been traded because he doesn't, you know, so he doesn't have to do it and, and have the relationships with them. Um, kind of, you know, kind of some similarities there. You got Mike Dunleavy Jr. stepping in. And even though he's the one that drafted Poole, it's a little bit easier for him to to deal these guys without feeling kind of the weight on his conscious of the relationships that have built been built over the years. Um, and so I think, you know, this tells me that they weren't sold on Jordan Poole being the piece to invest in in the future, and, and they weren't confident in him flourishing in that six-man role because they weren't going to move off of Clay Thompson, and they weren't going to have, you know, a three-guard starting lineup. Um, so yeah. that's big, right? That's a big directional decision. We were waiting to see what the Warriors were going to do if they just were going to run it back. I was kind of hoping that they were going to run it back, but that was with the that was with the understanding that they're willing to invest in the guys that they have and they think that they can make it better. So I think kudos for them to deciding that's not what we want to do. And um, I think I read reports that they were looking into Marcus smart as a trade partner Mm -hmm. Um, that didn't fall, that didn't fall into play, but I think Chris Paul really brings an interesting aspect to the warriors because he is such a conflicting style of play compared to what the Warriors do. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially when you just think about how many games we lost last season and even the year before, the year that we won, 
um, <laughs> where we just threw away games at the end at, at, at the end of fourth quarters because of clock management, because of shots, shot selection, because of turnovers and having somebody who, you know, regardless of the questions around his health and availability, I think it's undeniable that he is in a very short list of guys that you would almost always trust with the ball in his hands to make the right decision, a high IQ basketball decision and um, help execute in crunch time. Yeah. I mean, the, that's a lot there. That's a lot. There's like a really a lot. There is maybe the biggest move the Warriors have ever made in the, I mean, I guess we're in the post Myers era, but in this dynasty era, in terms of, they don't do this. They don't break up the chemistry of a team. The only time they ever did it was for Kevin Durant. And that wasn't really getting rid of anyone other than Harrison Barnes and some other, you know, some other role players around. Maybe the Monte Ellis for Andrew Bogut trade is maybe the, oh, yeah. the, closest, oh, the yeah. closest thing we can get to this, where you've got this fan favorite. This is the, this is kind of our future guy, highly talented offensive guard hitting his prime. What are you doing trading for the injury riddled Andrew Bogut? That's a that's a good comp. That's a good comp. Uh, I I remember I remember being so mad that they traded Monte Ellis because he was my favorite player. He was so good, and they had the vision there. Hopefully they have the vision here too. I don't mind Jordan Poole being gone. I mean, I think my my facts, my feelings on him and this season in particular are on the record. This guy, we talk about him in terms of ex- exponents, right? He's an exponential type of player. When he's good, he makes the Warriors so much bet- better. But when he's bad, he makes them so much worse. And I think there's two things that they were betting on. One, that whatever good vibes they had in their championship season were not going to be repaired and could never be repaired. I think this also signals we can talk about how Draymond is still a free agent and is might get a lot of money and other teams are courting him. But I think this signifies that Draymond's coming back because that was what really did it. I mean, well, there's going to be books and documentaries written about how this punch and this attitude at the beginning of the season changed the reigning champs that had, you know, their starting lineup was the best in the league and it totally upset the apple cart. And, you know, it might seem hilarious that Jordan Poole is the one who got punched and then got traded away, but Draymond played well during the season and Jordan Poole did not and could never figure out his role and was not good enough coming off the bench to keep himself in the Warriors team. And also was not defensively, you know, attentive or viable enough to make that three guard lineup work with Stephen Clay. So it was just in a no man's land. And I really feel like they had no choice but to trade him. And I think it's, you know, kudos to Mike Dunleavy for making the call and getting him off. But it also, I think, is a, I don't want to say a black mark, but they signed him to this gigantic contract before they necessarily had to. If they hadn't have done that, he'd be making a lot less money after the season he just had, right? And they kind of put themselves in a position where they did have to attach other things to get rid of it and get rid of him. Obviously, you know, they had to with the punch. They did their best. They didn't suspend Draymond. Who knows whether that could have been repaired anyways, but the dynamic was so fraught that they just had to cut bait. And we talked, I mean, the last time we talked, we were talking about Steph's game seven performance in the first round series, how it's like, hey, if you guys stop grumbling about playing time, stop worrying about you, this is about the team, let's do this. And they just couldn't do it. And I guess they got the they got the feeling that they never could. We haven't talked about this. Do you see, you saw Steve Kerr go on Draymond's podcast? Again, no free ads except for Draymond's podcast on this one, on Sports <laughs> Ethos. But yeah. when they were talking about the heat and the nuggets, I mean, to have the coach and Steve Kerr, who's so good with personalities. And I mean, at least we thought, so good with personalities and managing a locker room to attack the young players like that and say, they've got guys that we don't. We used to have guys like that who would come off the bench and scrap for us and play for us and do whatever it takes to win. That's about as big of an, like, I don't think there's any coming back after that. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of layers to some of the things that you've said here. Um, 
One of which, you know, I've seen a lot of it. I've seen a decent amount of advanced metrics. I don't have them available offhand to reference them, but the, the comment that Jordan Poole makes, you know, when Jordan Poole's on, he makes everyone around him better. I think mm-hmm. I would kind of, you know, now that I we're kind of in the next stage of this where Jordan Poole's not on the Warriors, so kind of moving on, um, I would kind of counter that and say, you know, he helps the Warriors in the sense that he scores, which helps us win, but his play, like when, when him and Curry were on the floor together, Curry's numbers were actually down. Um, mm-hmm. his play was good in the sense that he could score and get his, but he never like unlocked anybody else playing around, oh, absolutely. playing around him. So totally. when you also talk about the two timeline approach and development of like Kaminga and Moody, which you haven't really hit on yet, but I think another factor of bringing in Chris Paul is that's totally different. When you've got a veteran point guard, he is going to be more focused on getting other guys involved. He's going to put guys in better spots. He's not going to be worried about his numbers, about getting his. um, And I think that's going to be a big difference. Also, I think that hindsight being 2020, you know, they threw that big contract at Jordan Poole to help deal with the punch with Draymond and all of that to make things copacetic. But if they hadn't and Jordan Poole had entered restricted free agency and got some low ball offer of a contract that we matched, we'd still be in a really tough spot if Poole was on like a four year 80 million or, or four year 65. Like who knows what the numbers would be, but they would still be untenable for the Warriors based on the luxury tax. Uh, sure. I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I saw that just by cutting um, Patrick Baldwin Jr., who was the 28th pick in the first round to get uh, Tracy Jackson Davis, the 57th pick of the second round, will save us 10 million after taxes. Yeah. Um, and it's not like Patrick Baldwin Jr. was making that much. So it was almost like you needed this perfect storm to justify moving on from Jordan Poole to really kind of segue. Um, a shift in perspective in front office, right? Because we had kind of seen that there was clearly a disconnect, you know, Myers and Lakeup assembling this team where basically half the roster is unplayable when you've got mm-hmm. Kaminga, Moody, Poole, Wiseman, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Ryan Rawlings, and injured Iguodala. Like, that's like half your team. Yeah. <laughs> but not totally. being able to really depend on a lot of those guys um and so you know you include ryan rawlings in the pick for chris paul could ryan rawlings turn into something good sure i don't know maybe (laughs) i mean he sure didn't show that much in in the season that he played but you need to move on if you're trying to win this year you can't be holding on to assets thinking like well we could have gotten more and for return like this wasn't about nickel and diming what's the maximum value we can get for the future this was about move on and let's build a team that can win. And part of that is let's let go of the guys that aren't going to help contribute this year. It doesn't mean that we made a mistake in drafting them and thinking that they have potential, but it's a shift in the mentality of this is what we're focused on. We're not looking for a three-year project in Patrick Baldwin Jr., even though he could have been the steal of the draft. Maybe he ends up doing really great things in, in Washington Um, Or maybe not, but he wasn't going to be a rotational player this year. He wasn't going to get 20 minutes a night at the expense of Jonathan Kaminga. So what's he doing? Nothing. Okay. Then let's get something, you know, let's get, uh, you know, a 24 year old Tracy Jackson Davis, um, who actually is going to, you know, potentially be more NBA ready. So we're definitely seeing, I think more, you don't have to agree with the moves, but you can see that everyone's on the same page now. What we're trying to do here is win a championship oh, totally. or two in the next few years. And we're not so worried about we, you know, didn't get the best deal or we had to overpay or whatever. It's like, who cares? We wanted yeah, Chris Paul. Absolutely. Could we have waited for Chris Paul to get bought out and tried to sign him on a vet minimum deal? Sure. But then you're, you know, in a bidding war with with any other team. And I don't think Chris Paul would have picked the Warriors if it came down to like, you could sign with the Warriors, with Miami, with the Clippers. I don't think he would have picked us. So if you want to go out and get that guy because 
you couldn't get Marcus Smart, or you weren't sold on Malcolm Brogdon, or you know, your list of options was dwindling, then you do what you got to do to get the guy that you want. And they obviously wanted Chris Paul. Totally. And they wanted to get rid of Jordan Poole's contract too. Like they needed yes. a trade partner to that. And he now has what, frankly, for his performance last year, one of the worst contracts in the league, because we don't know how he's going to be without Steph Curry. And, without right. that. and we so all wish him, wish him the best, but for all we know, he turns into a Monte Ellis. <laughs> and this might be the last big deal of his career, and he ends up being like a Brandon Jennings, Monte Ellis. Like, dude can get a bucket, but he's got a poor attitude, and he doesn't make your team better, and he can't play defense. So eventually, when you're 27, 28 years old, and those are the knocks on you, there's a limited scope of teams that are willing to uh, to take you on and deal with that. Yeah, I put good money on that being the situation, but obviously you know my feelings on Jordan Poole. So a few things to talk about. One, just to clarify the exponential comment, like absolutely. I mean, one of the big travesties of this last season is that part of being in that core six is that they thought he was going to be a sixth man of the year who is going to be able to be the anchor on the bench when Steph sits and also empower James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga. And he could not do that. So he definitely doesn't make other people better. I'm just talking about, especially when he's playing with Steph, like the way he, you know, his electric flair, he lights up chase center. The thing, the runs come alive when you have an extra like fire shooter that's coming off there. Like it's just one of those classic warriors dynastic runs. That's when, when he's on, the Warriors just seem so much better. Not necessarily that he makes the Warriors better with his court vision or passing or anything. He just kind of plays into, you know, the again, like the mini Steph vibes. And he breathes got, life those... into the arena. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. So, so that makes it great. And then, every yeah, every I mean, play is a highlight reel or shocking a full moment for him. There's nothing in between. <laughs> truly, truly. It's and either herky jerky, it. incredible finish, or he dribbled or it off, off his, his foot, foot, or truly. he, or he just fell to the ground, and they didn't, they didn't call a foul for him flailing. And, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's play. just yeah, highs and lows, and you know that's how the Warriors when they get on those runs, that can feel really incredible and really demoralizing for the other team. So In the regular season, it was more palatable because of how often he was able to get to the foul line. But when referees start, when the referees stopped giving, awarding him with free throws for all of the flailing, um, mm-hmm. he quickly became unplayable. Absolutely. And I think what you said is the vision is so much clearer. The last two seasons, even though we won the title in the first one, this, this two, like ever since the James Wiseman draft, this two timelines approach was tense, not just because you're making Steph Curry play with a bunch of children, but also you're making Kerr field lineups and play G League guys over them. And it led to a situation where, yeah, these guys aren't getting any playing time. So the commitment on the whole team, knowing that now the front office and the coaching staff and ownership is all on the same page because they are saving money like they are dealing with the financial realities of this situation which is yeah maybe we'll pay that tax bill if we're winning the title not if we're losing in the second round like that's not going to happen anymore and knowing we're drafting guys and trading guys that Kerr won't play for guys that Kerr will play and that Steph wants to play with that is huge and I mean now we can back to the back to the money ball example right it doesn't matter what what Billy Bean what what trades Billy Bean makes if the coach still decides to play the guys that he wants to play. Totally. And it was like, they had to make a call, right? They either trade away the veterans, so Kerr has to play the young guys, and they commit to that, or they do the opposite. And there's no way they were going to do the, they were going to not go with the core after Steph still showing that he's, you know, MVP level iconic player, Draymond showing that he's still so good. We're going to have to talk about Clay. Obviously, he had an incredible regular season. I've got some thoughts on his playoff performance, as I'm sure that I feel I've been like undercovered and understated because no one wants to talk bad about Clay. I don't want to talk bad about Clay either. But they're riding with this core and they're finding players who work with this core. And I think that's such a good point, Sam, on Chris Paul, if he does. You know, if everything works out perfectly and he is totally cool with being that backup point guard and coming off the bench, 
the the IQ replacement from Jordan Poole's freaking like Looney Tune shenanigans on the floor to, you know, the classic Chris Paul floor general of setting up Moody, setting up Kaminga, having a guy who can not just direct on offense, but on defense too, even if he is a smaller player, that's going to be huge. And hopefully it will bring out, it'll make Kaminga more playable as well for Steve Kerr. Yep. hundred percent. Back to kind so, of that Sean Livingston type role, right? The, yes. The stabilizer, not not the uh, the energizer bunny that comes off the bench and does crazy things, but the opposite. We need a uh, we need the slow and steady tortoise that's uh, that knows where totally what he's doing and he's under control. And that was the moment where I, it really did click into place when I saw someone online being like, "It is like the Sean Livingston, right? The mid the mid range master, the someone who can get a bucket and like Steph can play off ball." I was like, "Oh, that makes a lot of sense." That makes um, a lot of sense, as does his like shorter con uh, contract compared to yes, Poole's exactly. longer contract so, too. So the and the bigger thing here is yes, Chris Paul is getting paid thirty million dollars this year, which is more than what we'd pay Jordan Poole. Um, but next year he's non guaranteed. So if mm-hmm. it doesn't work out and it's a and it's a total fail, you can either try and trade him. Um, or you can just let him walk. And now you've got, you've cleared that $30 million in cap space to sign somebody else or to yeah. offer claim more money or whatever you're going to do, right? You, this, this opens up that slot of flexibility, gets the Warriors under the tax apron so they don't get this incredibly punitive new CBA rules of not having an MLE and all of the, all of the ramifications of that. Um, that's another big part of this as well. It gives the Warriors financial flexibility in the future on top of maximizing their ability to win in the next couple of years. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty savvy move. I, the one cons- I mean, the multiple concerns, especially in my Warriors heart of hearts of like how I cannot believe I'm going to see Chris Paul in a Warriors Jersey, but they are getting not just older, but they're getting smaller too. And they're getting less fast. How is he going to work with like a the fast paced run and gun style and all of that? It is going to be an identity shift. And maybe that's what they need to contrast with the starters. But it is going to be a difference. And I think they've got some work to do in filling out the rest of the roster to make up for the lack of speed and size now that they've gone for, not just with Chris Paul, but in the draft as well. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, if you compare Sean Livingston, it's not like he was Speedy Gonzalez either in that. That's true, but he was big, right? Yes, yes. He was defensively defensively much different than Chris Paul for sure. Um, Yeah, so that would be the change there. But yeah, and I think you're kind of you're kind of alluding to the other concern, which is you know, Pools playing thirty plus minutes a night, backing up Steph Curry. Steph Curry missed a big chunk of games. And, you know, you feel pretty good because you just slot Jordan Poole into the starting spot and you feel pretty good from a scoring perspective. Forget about all the other issues. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you do now? Right. Chris Paul, highly unlikely, nor would we want him to play in 82 regular season games or even playing uh, 30 plus minutes a night. So um, what do they do? They obviously are going to need a little bit more depth at the point guard position. and. you know that is that, that kind of segues Ty into Jerome's our, our, music? our dra- yeah so that was what i was gonna say man ty <laughs> jerome i would be really happy to see ty jerome get a minimum deal i thought he was exceptionally capable as your third string point guard a bucket getter when he needed to 50 40 90 guy very low turnover system guy that does what he's asked not a great defender but also not a horrible defender gives great mm-hmm. effort. Um, also, I've seen a lot of talk about Lester Quinones, who the Warriors drafted yeah. last year, but but was really relegated to, to Santa Cruz. Um, so I think, you know, I think there's some cheap options to be had there, but very clearly um, they need somebody else in that spot behind Steph and Chris Paul, because it's fair to assume that both of those guys are going to have some um maintenance days through the uh the gauntlet of an 82 game regular season 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like the the bet that Chris Paul is going to be able to be healthy for the playoffs, let alone having minutes in the regular season. That's a big bet on Rick Celebrini and the Warriors staff. I like the idea of going back to the strength and numbers vibe and having Kerr get getting a team that Kerr can trust. He likes throwing out bench guys. He likes having a deep bench that he can go to, which is why last year was so painful for a variety of reasons, right. watching him just refuse to play any of his, you know, young guys or rookies. You know, talk about like all of the disasters that happened last season, just truly the most snake bit thing I've ever seen. But one of the more underrated ones was them choosing to sign Anthony Lamb to a full contract so he could actually play in the playoffs and increasing the tax bill as much as it did for Steve Kerr to give him absolutely zero run in the entire postseason when it's like, actually, Ty Jerome might have been helpful in some of those games. <laughs> yeah, I, so I, think, but I think actually the, the Anthony Lamb signing was so he could play in those stretch of games when Andrew Wiggins hadn't returned for the end of the regular season because Lamb had hit his cap of the 50 games. Yeah. So I think that was also the silver lining is that you could have Lamb be available in the playoffs. But yeah, I agree in the sense that it was like slap in the face, kind of that like you signed this guy that then didn't even get onto the floor in the playoffs. Um, and Wiggins came back like a week later, you know, right. you know like it was, yeah. and which there really was no way to really know. That. Right. Um, yeah. One thing, one point that I think not a pe- not enough people realize is that playing into Steve Kerr's reluctance to deploy the young guys was how poorly we started the regular season last year. Um, yeah. And I don't want to harp on this too much because I do want to spend some time talking about our, our two draft picks um or potentially three i guess because we included somebody uh who was undrafted um but when you look at that 22 season where we won and we got off to that incredibly amazing start um to the regular season compare that to you know we dropped like our first seven road games of the season and just got behind the eight ball to get things started Mm -hmm. it really put the coaching staff in a difficult place to feel comfortable with letting, you know, Kaminga and Moody play through their mistakes and not be able to just immediately fit into the roles that they were being asked to fill and losing games, it just really compounded everything so much more. And I think that's something people don't really realize. Like, yes, Steve Kerr doesn't like to play rookies and he likes to lean on more um, established veteran talent. But also when you're dropping games and you're trying to just stop the bleeding, you're not going to lean on Kaminga or Moody who are coming in there and turning over the ball or not rebounding the ball or not doing what's being asked of them. And that just really um, makes you kind of have to double down on taking a step back and, and kind of further limiting who you're willing to go to because you've just lost trust and you're not totally. able to give guys the freedom to, to have a little bit of wiggle room to play through a couple of mistakes. It's like you made one turnover. You're, you're pulled. Uh, Modi Muzi, Moses Moody, you dribbled into the corner and turned it over. Nope, you're not doing that. You're out. You know, we'll yeah. give it a week before we give you another chance to crack the rotation again. Um, no, and so absolutely. it really kind of forced this like really rigid, immediate, like um, you're out of there. <laughs> totally. No, totally. I mean, it became a pressurized crucible situation where every yeah. single game, starting at game 10, became much more important than it should be. And I think we can say, looking back on it, that every single person handled it poorly. We've, I mean, we talked about it all last season. Like, mm-hmm. the starters got way too intense, and they started, they were blowing. I mean, those are the starters who were blowing all those close games, right? Like, they couldn't close. The bench players got jittery because they weren't sure if they were going to play and then started grumbling about playing time. Kerr yanked around the rotation. And guess what? Like, I totally get that if you like, hey, we can't play these kids because we have a shorter leash. But you can't, if you're going to make those moves to stop the bleeding, you have to stop the bleeding. And they were still losing games. Like, they never righted the ship. And it just carried over until the very end of the season. And then, you know, right when it seems like maybe you could have had some rhythm, Andrew Wiggins goes out for some mysterious absence, right? Nothing ever came together. But 
it's, you know, it is wild to see all of the missed opportunities to see what happened, to see how that opening. And again, like the preseason and the punch carried over the entire season where even when you finally did have a guy who was getting a lot of rope and like really found a place in the rotation with Kaminga, and then he doesn't get any trust during the reg- during the postseason. Meanwhile, Moses Moody, who doesn't get any playing time, turns out he can play in the postseason. And I do think I understand the mentality that would cause Kerr to, I mean, who am I to even critique anyone in the NBA, let alone a coach or a player or anything, but you know, I understand the mentality on why he would make those choices and be more veteran savvy, but it it is wild to me that Moses Moody ended up being maybe like the fifth best player on the Warriors in the second round, and he couldn't get any playing time to get better. So he would be even better in the postseason. Yeah. And I think now, I mean, now you don't have to worry about it, right? Because Chris Paul's going to be in there. Like when things go awry, it'll be like, okay, Chris Paul's going to go make the right play. I right. think that is like the veteran savvy where it's like, okay, maybe Modi, maybe Moody and Kaminga can play through more mistakes now. And Kerr is going to have more confidence because there's an actual adult out there who's going to make sure nothing gets out of hand. And that should have been Iguadala last year yep. who didn't play at all. Again, yep. more snake bites from the season. And also when you compound things by turning the ball over so many times and struggling so much on defense, committing so many mm-hmm. fouls, giving the other team free throws, you have such a small margin for victory because you've made things so much easier for the opposition that you're forced with having to make all of these home run plays that yeah, yeah every, every mistake just becomes such a bigger issue. So Totally. Anyway, so let's cue to the draft. Warriors with pick number 19 select Brandon Pojemski. Um, I think we're going to have some questions on the pronunciation (laughs) of his last name, but um, as of now, that's what I've seen. Kareth Burke saying that we're pronouncing this Pojemski. Um, (laughs) This is the Santa Clara product. Michael Dunleavy Jr. said they had him pegged as number 11 on their draft board, question mark. I mean, I don't necessarily do a ton of draft analysis and and evaluating college players as as the other, you know, as as the next guy. But um, that kind of had like me kind of raised my eyebrows that he kind of openly admitted that they had him ranked that high. But, you know, seems like he is a bona fide bucket getter, but much in a much different way than Jordan Poole Um, kind of get the sense that he's more like a James Harden in the sense that he's like slow, methodical and crafty, but not like super speedy. Um, You know, his dad said in the little interview during the draft that he's a military kid, he'll do whatever you ask of him. You say, you know, you tell him to jump, he'll say how high. Um, Yeah. and uh, And then Dunleavy Jr. kind of was challenging uh, Brandon saying that, yeah, as a rookie, you know, you don't typically play rookies, but he'd really like to see him force Steve Kerr to really play him. And, you know, if he can go out there and score buckets efficiently within the system and not be a net negative on defense, you know, looking at the Warriors depth chart, there's certainly opportunity for a guy who can come in in five to eight minutes and score six points. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, I was shocked when it when it happened. And I was personally rooting for Jaime Jaquez Jr., the Warriors take him. I saw a lot of mocks going like, oh, he's a good Warriors player. He's an older guy. He can play right away. And, of course, Miami, the other team that's probably the most like the Warriors in terms of having this culture of grinders, of having a G League team that they draw upon, of all of that. They take him right beforehand. I was just devastated. And I hadn't heard of this guy I do like the switch from it's like the last couple drafts, they were going with raw athletic tools and upside. Yep. And these yep. like people who like could turn, like if everything broke right, could be the best player in the league. Right. And now it's like, actually, you know, what would be helpful drafting someone who has a high, who knows IQ, how to play basketball. Play, <laughs> yeah. And who knows how, who could play basketball for Steve Kerr, you know, yes. who wants to like, run all the things and we'll see what happens in the preseason and summer league and stuff. I'm not familiar with this game at all. Other than I know that Fitz is going to have a field day that we have a guy from Santa Clara on the team, a little Bay area prospect. 
Yeah, but... it looks like he's a guy who can score at all three levels. He said in his, you know, by his third year in the season, he wants to be averaging a triple double. He was averaging like eight boards a game in in, in uh, his last year in college. Um, he seems like he's got that too. edge, right? He seems kind of like that Dante DiVincenzo replacement who um, I'm I expecting <laughs> is going to walk away in free agency. I know we didn't even really hit on that yet. Uh, yeah, but he does kind of seem after... like he's got that he's got that edge. He's got that that um, kind of undefiable characteristic of just wanting it more than the other guy. And he doesn't need to be pushed. He doesn't need to be motivated. He's already got that kind of killer instinct inside of him. Totally. Well, with that hair and with that suit he was wearing, he's got to have that edge. That dude has confidence <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good point. He, uh, the first thing I thought was like, that man looks like Dante DiVincenzo. And it seems like maybe a replacement, especially now that we have Gary Payton back, who, you know, Dante was the Gary Payton replacement. And yes. also after the playoffs last year, like, okay, bye Dante. Like, I'm, I'm not going to, maybe he could turn out better later, but that was a pretty uninspiring performance from him. Yeah, in the I would be okay if Dante, if Dante wanted to opt in to the second year of his MLE, when, which is the four and a half million, at that price point, I'd be more than happy to have him Totally. Around. But for the 12 to 15 a year that he's kind of slated to be asking for in free agency, that he probably deserves, um, certainly yeah. not worth it for the Warriors. I mean, I absolutely love his game and his fit and all of that. But, um, you know, he, if he wasn't hitting threes, he lost all kind of aggressiveness on offense. And then defensively, he seemed like he was really great off the ball, just as like playing super aggressive in the passing lanes, but his on ball, his on ball defense was super sus. He just, he looked like half the time he was literally pointing guys to the basket like up 35 feet in their face and just his whole body is just a beeline to just beat me off the dribble to the hoop uh which i just did not understand it almost seemed like that was by design but it it never seemed to work out so yeah honestly i just i don't know i don't know if he's a 16 game player right like he plays with such tenacity and verve and he makes threes in the regular season and he seems to play good defense in the regular season and in the postseason those threes get harder and the defense gets you know choppier it's like oh maybe you actually can't hack it when the intensity turns up if that was your differentiator was the was the intensity you were playing with yep so I agree. You know, and I think if he's taking away minutes from Moody, I'd almost rather give those opportunities to Moody. Totally. And that's what Kerr did, right? That's what Kerr did in the in the second round. So yeah. not not too bummed there. Although did you I was cracking up. Did you see the meme where it was like this might go over some people's heads. It was like Nico Mannion, Dante DiVincenzo, and then this new Brandon guy is like Charmander, Charmeleon, Charizard. Yeah, it's like the that. evolved that forms of these like <laughs> curly-haired white dudes that the Warriors are getting. Maybe they landed I, them this time. I also just love how quickly everybody's so dismissive of like, oh, you get a six-five guy that's super slow, and you tr- and you think he's going to replace Jordan Poole. It's like, oh my gosh, good like. Everybody thinks that they're an expert and they've got a crystal ball. Like, let the kid play before you start, you know, reacting and, and already kind oh, of yeah. at a loss. But that, you know, that's that's me expecting better things out of Twitter. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's just such a shift in strategy and ideas. I mean, we got to play in freaking storybook Disneyland the last two years, right, Sam? Like, we had a championship core and then maybe a championship core of the future. And it was so fun to imagine like Jordan Poole and James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga being like, you know, a big three in the 2030s as the Warriors right. are competing for championships. And that was always probably way too, I mean, it clearly was way too idealistic. You can have your cake guys. and eat it too. And we certainly thought that we could. Yeah, no, they got like last year was the Warriors. We talked, I talked about the championship hangover. It's like they got sick on that cake and threw it up everywhere and got objected by the third by the second round yeah and that's really what what dunleavy jr is telling us here he's acknowledging that this doesn't work and he's very quickly looking to to remedy the situation and so kudos to him right he's not beating around the bush he's not like dragging this thing out for three years it's like now we're gonna win or we're gonna do our best to win and let's be clear about what that means 
Absolutely. Cool. Sorry, I mean, you they... got to go. You know, Ryan Rawlings, you got to go. Patrick Baldwin Jr., you got to go. We're not saying that these guys can't play, but you're not helping us today win a championship. So, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's so funny. Out of those three, I'm almost more most sad to see Patrick Baldwin Jr. go because whenever he got spot minutes last year, he was, you know, he was good. It seemed like he really had potential, but they need a five. They need someone who can right. play the five. And exactly. this like a stretch four who can't rebound or can't play the five, that's not going to work. And it seems like this other guy, TDJ, Trace Johnson, Jackson, Tra- Jackson, Trace Jackson Davis, Trace Jackson Davis, he seems like he could play the five. He can rebound. And did you see that tweet after the Wizards traded him being like, I see y'all, like I'm going to, you're going to regret this. I was like, okay, talk yep. about an edge. Talk about an adult. I mean, 23 years old, still like young, but like, on a, you know, compared to these other guys they've been drafting, an adult who wants to play, who wants to make an impact, even that mind shift, mind shift is going to make a big difference, I think. Yep. Three years older than Kaminga. Um, this stat threw me for a minute, and I had to look it up to confirm. He led the NCAA in box plus minus last year. That's crazy. At 16.02. That's um, crazy. So he's like a 20 average, like 20 and 10 in two blocks. He's a legit post presence, legit rebounder. He can defend the paint. He can do um, dribble handoffs. He's got, he's a, Supposedly has great vision and had a season where he averaged like three or four passes or uh, assists per game. Um, So he really projects as this NBA ready, incredible front court prospect that a lot of people were like scratching their heads that there's no way this guy should have gone to 57. A lot of people had him pegged as a first rounder. Um, So the fact that the Warriors were able to save money by trading Patrick Baldwin Jr. or exchanging that roster slot of Patrick Baldwin Jr. for Trace Jackson Davis that saves them $10 million after taxes. You get a player that's three more years more mature and and um, more likely to be, you know, NBA ready in a piece of Steve Kerr's rotation that can do all of these things. I mean, it's been a long time since we've had like a true inside presence kind of guy. Um, yeah. And maybe this is the uh, rim rolling partner for Chris Paul, um, in addition to to Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's just it makes so much more sense to draft these guys, older guys who are ready now. That's what everyone thought like they were going to do before. And it is really funny that a team that built a dynasty off of these three guys who played a lot in college that were older, that weren't the typical like shiny star one and done prospects in Steph, Clay, and Draymond. You know, Fitz on the broadcast always talks about a three-year college player, four-year college player, and they went with the opposite, and it didn't work. It just didn't work, not for the style of basketball that Kerr likes to play, not for the style of basketball that Steph likes to play. And having these guys, older guys who can fit in, I'm excited about the change of direction. I'm waiting to see what else they do, too, in free agency. Dunleavy got on a got on in one of his uh, press conferences was said, you know, they wanted to save some money. They want to get off some contracts and they want to keep some roster spots open, some bullets available for some of those vet minimums. And I think if they strike the right ones, they could be really good again. Yep. 100%. Um, so right now, when we look at the depth chart, we've got Steph and Chris Paul at the point guard, Clay and Podmensky at shooting guard, Wiggins, GP2, and Moody at small forward. Uh, I've got Draymond and Kaminga here listed as power forwards, and then Looney and Trace Jackson Davis at the center spot. So, um, and then, you know, question mark, is that going to be Ty Jerome or Lester Mm -hmm. Quinones or somebody else in that third string, you know, that third string point guard? You've got three two-way slots this season if i'm not mistaken they upped it from two to three so warriors could kind of get fancy with with the two-way deals again and you've got 50 games 
that you can, you know, that you can deploy those guys. So it's also possible that they could use, you know, Gui Santos, who they drafted last year, Quinones, yeah. Jerome, Anthony, you know, we know that the Warriors like to get really creative with, with their Santa Cruz team and, and utilizing guys, but clearly you've got three or four slots here for some veteran minimum guys. This is assuming that Draymond resigns, which, you know, I think that the question mark right here is just the dollar amount, but the fact that you've already got Chris Paul and traded Jordan Poole, um, I think everybody would be really shocked if Draymond does not return with the Warriors. And if Draymond doesn't return with the Warriors, I think, None of this really matters because I think everything kind of collapses. This is all built on oh, totally. the uh, assumption that Draymond's going to return. Yeah. Um, I mean, if Draymond doesn't return, then this trade and the pool for Paul trade and all that, that's a catastrophe. Like it's such to the point where he's got to come back. Right. I know I'm yeah. now I feel like I'm setting myself up, but it feels like he's just trying to maybe squeeze a little bit more cash out of him, but we'll see what 100%. happens. There's a lot of similarities to the Andre Iguodala situation when he got his last big payday that he, you know, he just was doing exactly that. He wanted to ensure that, you know, he was getting paid. True. And I think he also wants to let like, war, you know, after all of the people who have been telling him that, you know, like, oh, you'd be nothing without Steph. You're just a role player, blah, blah, blah. I think he likes the fact that maybe he has the Warriors over a barrel. And he likes the fact that he announces free agency on day one of Mike Dunleavy being announced. And just like, hey, no, I'm the main priority right now. Before you took care of the other guy, guess what? You just traded him because he freaking sucked all year. But you need me. So let, Interesting we'll, we'll let him have uh, his day. tidbit right here. I just saw um, by Tim... Uh, by Tim of the Athletics saying that during the draft, uh, teams in kind of the end of the first round, early second round, were calling Trace Jackson Davis's agent asking if he'd take a two-way deal if picked. Um, and the agent declined and said that he wanted a roster spot and guaranteed money. Um, yeah. hey, makes sense. So that kind of maybe explains why he dropped. Teams were like, hey, you know, we want to take you, but we're not, you know, we're not looking to play you right away or we want to send you to the G League. And and he said, no, that's not what I want. So um, kind of maybe explains why he fell so late to the Warriors. So definitely seems like a, a potential steal. Obviously, we got to see these guys hit the floor. Um, we had the summer league schedule released. We've got summer league kicking off July 7th. Um, still a lot of moves to make. That seems like really soon. It really these, does. De- these deals wild. don't become official until July 6th. And then summer league starts the next day. Um, yeah. It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild how fast all this stuff happens. It feels like a mini season outside of the season. And yeah. how quickly the draft and the lottery and the, all the free agency and the trades. Uh, but, you know, there's some moves to make. And I'll maybe I'll leave, us, leave with this in the sense of, you know, I think they got better. They got better with the Jordan Poole to Chris Paul upgrade. It's an upgrade. It is definitely has its own question marks. Chris Paul is a much better player than Jordan Poole was, at least last season, definitely. Health concerns aside. and. For, you know, for all of our fellow Warriors fans out there who cannot believe this is happening, there is a poetry in Chris Paul fighting against Steph, losing constantly, and maybe ending his career being his backup point guard. There's a poetry (laughs) to that, and I'm taking solace in that if I have to actually root for this man. So I think think I'm most excited for the fact that we're finally getting to see what's happening here behind closed doors with the decisions made by the front office there's clarity there's direction there's alignment um that there wasn't that was lacking for the last two or three years forget you know the fact that we won in 2022 you know still i think there were a lot of question marks around that james wiseman pick i think if you had a, a crystal ball you'd probably say you know they should have picked franz wagner over jonathan kaminga whatever the past is what it is. Maybe you shouldn't even <laughs> take in those, those three draft picks of last season. Let's move on. You know, you've still got four championships with, with this, within this dynasty and set yourself up for a couple more potentially and um, clearing some roster spots in the, in the process to build a win now team 
and uh, build a team that is in alignment with the veterans and Steve Kerr. So totally look, Steph is still the best player in the league. If, I mean, I guess you got to give it to Jokic right now, but he's one of the three or four best players in the league. He was the best player on the floor in the Kings series. He was the best player on the floor in the Lakers series. You put a competent team around this guy, you can compete for a title. And it seems like finally that's what they're committed to doing rather than straddling anything else. 100%. Awesome. All right, Sam. So stoked for the offseason. Disappointing end for the Warriors, but excited to see how these picks go. Excited to see the future and ready for the bounce back, a revenge tour. I'm there, man. Let's go. All right. I will send you a picture of the nauseous emoji when I see Chris Paul on media day <laughs> of wearing the different jerseys. The city jersey. Goodness. Uh, thanks for having you on, Corey. It's always great uh, you back on the uh, Of course, Sam. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing me on. Go Dubs! <laughs>